Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with Sports Illustrated's Will Reggett, as we were just witness to the end-of-year press conference between Kevin O'Connell, Quasi Adafo Mensa, and us, the Twin Cities Media. And uh, where do you guys want to start? You want to start with the strong safety position, you know, the, the special teams, the kicking was addressed. We could get into, no, is that not where we should begin? All right, so uh, here's what Quasi Adafo Mensa said about Kirk Cousins, uh, that he wants him to return. But of course, along the way of saying he wants him to return was also uh, yada, yada, yada. Price tag is very important. And that negotiations also with his agent, Mike McCartney, are going to happen as well. So I don't think that I came out of this and I didn't expect to feeling wildly different about the Viking stance on Kirk Cousins. I believe the way that it's operated will with Quasi Adafo Mensa is when it comes to Delvin Cook, Adam Thielen, Eric Hendricks, when it's players the organizations love, they draw a line in the sand. And if you are going to, and I think he even alluded to this, like there's a line you can't cross. And so when, if there's a line that they can't be crossed, then they won't cross it with Kirk Cousins. But I also get the sense that there are a lot of people, maybe in the ownership, maybe in the head coaching chair, that want more of a sure thing at quarterback than taking a risk with a rookie. So it comes down to, can they get Cousins at their price? And the other part of this, that Kirk Cousins was not definitive the other day in saying that he absolutely can only return to the Vikings. He seemed kind of excited about the idea of talking about other teams. So that's my takeaway. How do you feel about it? Yeah, the, the good line from Kirk the other day was, you know, my kids really like their kindergarten here, but if we got to find a good kindergarten somewhere else, we'll do it. And so it really is in a lot of ways going to come down to Kirk Cousins and, and his camp. And what is he looking for at this stage of his career coming off the first major injury of his career? He's turning 36 in August. Like, does he really value playing under Kevin O'Connell, playing with Justin Jefferson, being here? Is he willing to take a little bit less to do that because he thinks maybe they can do something special? Um, or is he just going to kind of continue to be the Kirk Cousins that he has been his whole career and really maximize the business side of it and say, I'm going to look for the best fit, but I'm going to probably take the the most money, the most years, the best structure, whatever that looks like. Because nothing changed to me hearing from Kwesi today than like when he talked uh, after the trade deadline. He was talking about um, various like Dalton Reisner, tight ends, all, all kinds of different things. Uh, he said, you know, me wanting Kirk back is not just a me thing. It's there's a negotiation. These The two sides have to come to a point where it works for both of us. And that's just kind of how it's going to work. And that's basically what he reiterated today, that he wants Kirk Cousins back. Uh, I think Kevin O'Connell certainly wants Kirk Cousins back. But it's just there's just a price point that that has to be. It's not the like Justin Jefferson situation where we're going to give you a blank check because you're the best receiver in the world and you're like still 23 or however old Justin Jefferson is. Uh, it, Kirk Cousins is older. He's coming off an injury. He had a really good year this year. But there's still the entire body of work of ebbs and flows and never being close to Super Bowl contention during his six years here, that has to be considered. So I don't know that I learned a whole lot here. Uh, what will be fascinating is would they re-sign Kirk for a, to a short-term deal if that's possible and draft a quarterback? Will they let Kirk walk if he's just holding on to a certain number, sign a bridge guy, draft a quarterback? Um, there's a whole conversation we can have about what Nick Mullins did late in the season and what Josh Dobbs did briefly. And can somebody other than Kirk Cousins really thrive in this offense that's set up so well to be a quarterback? So I don't know that we learned a whole lot new today, but it's it's just a fascinating offseason coming up with this quarterback decision being the only thing that really matters. You know what's interesting to me is how often when we talk to these folks, whether it's coaches or management, that the sort of idea of them getting fired is in the air. And well, we're doing this right after Pete Carroll got fired. And a lot of people have been uh, the entire offensive staff of the Chicago bears was also let go today, which I can't tell is a sign that they want to bring in Caleb Williams and people to work with him, or they were so unhappy with how Justin Fields reacted to Luke Getze and so forth. But that's another conversation. Uh, but it's just always exists in the NFL. What if I get fired? What if I do this thing and I lose my job? And then I think about how Kirk Cousins appears to be the safer option. 
and yet has not been the safer option for previous regimes that he has been paid by and had huge cap hits by. He was not the safer option for Mike Zimmer and was not the safer option for Rick Spielman. And yet we still ended up with a new regime. And I wonder if the irony is lost there. Cause there's always sort of comments that lean that way in press conferences like that. Like, well, you know, we got to kind of get this thing right and that kind of thing. And, and I think, well, if you bring back cousins and you fail to meet expectations, you're fired. Or if you draft the wrong guy, you're fired. Or if you draft the right guy, you win the Super Bowl and you're a god and they put a statue of you out front. And you know what? Uh, one of those things is a less uh, has less of a sample size. How Jaden Daniels would play has no sample size, but Kirk Cousins does. And I think because of all the risks that are involved, the Achilles, the age, and there's even these subtle sort of passing references when Kwesi Adafo Mensa talks to things he knows. And one of the things he knows is that 36-year-old quarterbacks that are not named Rodgers, Favre, or Manning do not do that well in the NFL. And one of the reasons is they get hurt. They accumulate injuries over the years. And uh, Joe Flacco, I guess, is... Uh, is spry now, but he was always a good example of a guy who had started to fade around this time of his career. And so did Matt Ryan and Matt Ryan. No one ever really saw it coming. And so I think that what Quasey is, I think weighing on his mind is he knows that there's some significant risk. He knows how much his coaching staff wants Kirk cousins to come back. He knows that they've set records with throwing to Justin Jefferson, but he also has to be aware that if you pay $45 million to Kirk cousins, that you could talk about your salary cap people all day long. Guess what? The salary cap people are the same. Last people got fired, the last regime, but the salary cap guy is the same. It's very good at his job, but that doesn't, that doesn't bail you out when you have very thin margins to work with. No, it doesn't. And it's, yeah, Kirk Cousins, the idea of the safer option is really interesting because, like you said, he has been around when the previous regime got fired and they made their bet on him in 2018 and maybe Mike Zimmer didn't want to do that and, and kind of a little bit vindicated in that uh, perhaps belief. But, yeah, I mean, Kirk Cousins is – there's a floor with him and he's going to – you're not going to win three or four games – if he had stayed healthy, I think they win more than seven games this season, even even if Dobbs and, and Mullins got him a few wins here and there. Like, he is going to give you that floor. The question that they have to ask is, do they really think that with this roster and the way that it is currently constructed, and yes, there's some foundational pieces, particularly on offense with Derrissaw and Jefferson, who were assuming that extension is going to get done, and Hawkinson, and they, they absolutely nailed the Jordan Addison pick, which shouldn't be glossed over. That's huge. Um, but if you pay Kirk Cousins 40, 45 million, you pay Justin Jefferson quarterback money, or at least what was quarterback money a few years ago, 30, 35, something like that. You got the Derisaw thing coming down the line. Can you, you probably can't even consider bringing back Daniel Hunter at that point. Just if he's going to be making 25 plus elite edge rusher money, like it just becomes this puzzle. And I know, yeah, Rob Brzezinski is the salary cap guy. He's really good. Been here for a long time. There's things you can do with kicking money into the future, but Man, they've got a lot of holes, uh, specifically on defense, and we can get into that. There's there's cornerbacks that you need to add. There's defensive linemen that you need to add. You don't have any edge rushers under contract next year as of right now, except for Pat Jones and Andre Carter. So that's pretty bare. I like you feel good about linebacker and safety, but there are a lot of holes, and if you bring Kirk Cousins back, what is the ceiling? And that's the question that we've been asking ourselves over and over and over every offseason, every season for four, five, six years now. And it really, I don't think it's changed just because Kirk Cousins had a really nice October this year in the second year under Kevin O'Connell. I, I do think there's some validity to the way that he played and just the mastery that he absolutely has of this offense and all the, the arm talent decision-making, the veteran quarterback stuff. But then it's complicated by the coming off Achilles being 36. I mean, Quasi has alluded to this before. Like, I think Kirk Cousins, I don't know that we should view him completely like a typical 36 year old quarterback because of the insane obsessive amount of time that he puts into his body work and all these things you saw on the Netflix show. And this is the first injury of his career, probably a little bit more likely that it happened when he was 35 than when he was 25, but could just be kind of random. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. That's what makes this decision so interesting is Kirk cousins is the safe option. Kevin O'Connell probably won't get fired for a while. If Kirk cousins stays around here and you keep winning 
eight, nine, 10 games and his offense looks really good. And they're put up big numbers because of the talent on offense. Um, but I mean, Quasi might, if, if you just stay at this level and you never really threaten and you, maybe you win the NFC North occasionally when you win all your one score games, but you're never on that San Francisco, Dallas, Philly, and those teams will change. But that current tier, I don't know. Bottoming out. If you get it right, you said it, you get the statue. If you don't get it right, you're the Jets or you're the Browns or you're whatever. And I get that people are scared of that, but you can't be scared of that because look at the Texans this, this year. They won two games. They got CJ Stroud. They're set up beautifully. So I don't envy being in the decision makers chair this offseason, but the one thing they can hang their hat on is whoever the quarterback is going to be, they're coming, they're coming into or they're remaining in, if it's Kirk Cousins, a really good situation. I mean, I, I it just cannot have gone over their head that Nick Mullins threw for 400 yards two games Twice. in a row. I mean, and uh, let's be honest, Nick Mullins played well enough to win the, the Cincinnati game. Mm-hmm. We thought they were winning that game when we were there in Cincinnati and they're up by two scores in the fourth quarter where 99% of the time you win the game. And Nick Mullins, despite a couple turnovers, was able to do that. They actually overall got pretty decent play from a guy who barely ever plays in the league and is borderline. Who they got and, for free for 2022 August from like the Raiders or whatever it was. And I know that mentally uh, Nick, Nick Mullins is a great quarterback. He really is. If yeah. you could take his brain and put it in Josh Dobbs, it'd be incredible. Or at least what Josh Dobbs knew about this offense. Put hey, Josh it that Dobbs way. brain. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't want to take away from Josh Dobbs brain on the whole, yeah. but as a football, like, could you get him? Could you, you know, download like I, the I matrix? You yeah, you get it. Um, so I, I, they have a lot to weigh there on the price specifically, because we know they're going to negotiate and we know they're going to make an offer for Kirk cousins. I think this has been made clear that they're not just throwing up their hands and saying, all right, see you Kirk. Happy trails, pal. That's not what's going on here. They are going to have that discussion. Now, my question for you, Will, is where do you think that line in the sand would be drawn? Cause I would say there's, there's two things that the Vikings, if they go over, are going to have a really, really tough time uh, managing this. Or I guess in the years, if they go, yeah, over. If they go over two years, I don't know how you can commit to that long for somebody with the age and with the injury. And you could be, and we've seen this for many players before, completely healthy your whole career until you're not. And so that has to be a worry. Uh, And everybody's body breaks down eventually in the NFL. So you can't go more than two years. They wouldn't do it last year. They can't do it this year. And then I think the dollar figure has to be $40 million. If you go over $40 million, I don't care what you do to that salary cap. I have no idea how you're bringing in talent unless you absolutely crush the draft. And even then, very dicey. Like the Dallas Cowboys had to draft literally the best player in the NFL, Micah Parsons. I mean, he is, if you just took all player draft, you got like Mahomes, Micah Parsons. Are you going to do that at 11th overall? Like maybe, maybe you are, but maybe you don't. And then that it just, that's the only way you could survive would be to crush future drafts immediately and then have a bunch of stars on rookie contracts, kind of like Detroit does, but how did they do it? They tanked and got all that draft capital at the top. Aiden Hutchinson was the number two overall pick. You have 11. Not quite the same. Uh, I think although Parsons was taken in that range. So it's possible, but it's not super likely that you can do that. So that's my that's my line. If you were going anywhere over two years, anywhere over 40 million, you are just asking for this not to work. I'm with you. I, I like both those numbers. I was even thinking like 35, although that might be just a little outdated with how these quarterback salaries just keep climbing. I think top is like Joe Burrow. Is that like 55 now? There's uh 13 players next year who are scheduled to have cap hits over 40, over 40. Okay. Yes. So 35, including Daniel Jones, 35 would, would be the true like hometown discount thing yeah. that, that uh, was a phrase that came up this week. And Kirk kind of uh, skated around it and said, you know, yeah, at this point, the dollars aren't everything, but uh, it's what the dollars represent. And, uh, he that that means something. So he's not just going to take um, kind of a, a number that doesn't reflect what he's accomplished in his career and, and the way that he was playing before getting hurt this year. It's and it's, the outside interest, which he knows will be there, which will absolutely be there, because like he, he said, when he was asked about the Achilles, he said, I'm not going to sell myself like this league needs quarterbacks. I know that I am 
a good quarterback. I think you can certainly make the case that he's in that 10 to 12 range. Um, and that's going to be really valuable to various teams who are looking for a quarterback. So I don't think the hometown discount thing is happening. I think you could talk me into like two years, 40 million, something like that. And that would be have to be the absolute upper echelon of it for the Vikings, because that is still a very big figure with within the percentage of the salary cap. Um, that's still a two year time commitment. Any any more than that, I just I just don't think makes sense for for him at this point in his career. Even if that would mean giving you the flexibility to backload it and mess around with void years and do things like that, I just I just don't think that that's something they should keep doing and keep kicking the can on. I mean, to me, like in a, in an absolute perfect world, well, in an absolute perfect world, you trade up and you nail Caleb Williams or Drake May or Jaden Daniels, and then you're just you're just good. But I and we can talk about this because I think you you maybe disagree, but I think you could re-sign Kirk Cousins, and that's a decision that has to be made in March. Um, to a one, he's not going to sign a one-year deal. To a two-year deal worth like seventy to eighty million, and then you could still draft a quarterback and let them sit for a year. And and really, I think the argument there might be. How important is the the knowledge of the offense in this system? We've heard about that a bunch. We've heard about Kirk Cousins and why he kind of seemingly took a bit of a, a big step forward from year one and year two to this offense is because he really mastered it. And he knew it and he knew the progressions and the timing and the rhythm and the intent of all these different plays. And Nick Mullins, big reason why he threw for 400 yards a couple times. I mean, he threw a ton of interceptions, but that's kind of just what he does. Um, but he he knew that too. He he had been here for two years, so he was had a really good command of that. So I don't know. This might be an oversimplification. I don't know if it's a great offense to just throw a rookie into, even if that's Drake May, for example. I think maybe having that guy sit for one year, maybe even two years, probably just one, under Kirk Cousins and then take the reins, like that idea kind of appeals to me. But then there's a whole kind of dynamic that comes with that. And like, what if Kirk plays really well again, then what are you doing? I, so I don't know, but that, in, that option is interesting to me and nothing Quasey said today to me indicated that he's ruling out something like that, where you continue to live in both worlds. Folks, if you've been listening to the show, then you know how much fun we have been having with prize picks this year. Just go to prizepicks.com slash purple. Use the code purple for a first deposit match up to $100. And let me tell you how it works. If you haven't heard us talk about it enough yet or you haven't tried it yet, very simple. There are yardage totals on prize picks. You either pick more or less and boom, you are playing. So last week... I'm going to be honest with you. I had a very tough week. I went Kirk Cousins more than 250 yards, Justin Fields more than 196, and Jordan Addison more than 54. And I went 0 for 3. This is by far my worst week. So this week, I have to bounce back. Each week has been a roller coaster ride of fun. And the best part is that when I have a bad week, I didn't lose much. It doesn't cost much to play. You can turn 10 bucks into 250 very easily. And if things go sideways for you, you're not out a whole heck of a lot of money. But normally I do much better than this. So that is prizepicks.com slash purple, just more or less on yardage totals. And you are in prizepicks.com slash purple, the code purple for a first deposit match up to $100. So here, here's my trouble with that. Now, this sounds like a great idea. Like, so I'll give you a, um, a, a comparison. Me trying to cook, okay? So I will go to the store, and I will get ingredients, and I'll look at them, and I'll be like, I can do this. And then I get the stove on and everything else, and then there's a lot happening all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, no, something's burning. What's that? When do I microwave this? How do I even do this? And then I ruin the meal. And I think that there's a little bit of this with if you try to do too many things at once like this, if you try to play for the future and now uh, you can end up burning something and that would be your job. Because if you draft a first round quarterback and have cousins, you're drafting him possibly for the next regime and not even yourself. 
Yeah. Uh, I think the Packers were an incredibly unique situation because they competed for a Super Bowl with the best quarterback in the world the year after Jordan Love. There was no concern that their general manager was going to get fired. They were, what, 13 wins two years in a row with Jordan Love sitting there waving from the sideline. Like that, that's, is that anything we've seen here? We saw a 13 win season with a negative point differential and a first round out. So I don't know if that's really comparable. It's not Aaron Rodgers' history. It's not Brett Favre's history where you could just be like, my job's good. I mean, you're fine. Just, hey, Aaron, go do your thing. We'll just train Jordan over here, and then we'll be good to the go. Better, the better, they don't have that. The better one, I think, is like the Alex Smith Mahomes thing. But That's then, a but, one year. But then, And that was sitting one year, and that was also you happened to luck into uh, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time with like the 12th pick. Or they also had to trade Alex 10th. Smith. And if I am Kirk Cousins, that no trade clause that I had before, oh yeah, that's staying. That that right there, and remember who his agent is. If I'm Kirk Cousins' agent, I wish I was, man. Teach me. Tell me how to be you. Uh, but if I was Kirk Cousins' agent, I'd be like, we're starting the discussion with a no trade clause. So you can't just draft a quarterback, trade my guy away to wherever you want to trade him, and then put in your guy. And the what I'm talking about with the you're drafting him for the next regime is that you you can underestimate this is me in the kitchen you can underestimate how hot it gets and how fast mm -hmm. this year people lots of people lots of rational people were like should they just fire kevin o'connell put flores in they're like whoa they were playing nick mullins bro relax but we there is no relax there is no r-e-l-a-x when mm -hmm. it comes to the, the nfl the pressure gets ramped up fast mike vrabel has a bad year dude is out because they had no plan for the, the future uh, to build around him as their coach and so forth. So, and there was no quarterback to like, Oh, we got to have him to develop the rookie who's been playing kind of thing. It, it just gets so hot so fast. So if you bring back Kirk on a two year deal and you are locked into Kirk as a two year starting quarterback, if by the end of year two, you have an eight, nine season, you are out. And guess what? This team is prone to being impacted by luck, which even Quasi Adafomenta himself mentioned. He said, we want to be so good that adversity doesn't knock us out of the playoffs. Has this team had that tendency over the last six years? Seems like every time they faced adversity, they've been knocked out of the playoffs or a difficult schedule or an injury or a left guard or a kicker or whatever else it might be. So in my mind, you don't get to the quarterback you draft if it goes wrong, if it goes perfectly, wonderfully right. And you're in the divisional round uh, each season with Kirk, then okay. But we haven't seen that. And I guess that's what I'm saying is that everyone sort of is aware that they could get fired, but underestimates how that happens. Yeah. I, I the, the thing that usually happens, I think, or at least that we saw here with Rick Spielman is like the GM stayed and then they cycled through coaches. I would, I feel like Kevin O'Connell's seat is safer than Quasi Adafo right now. And I don't know that can't you can fire a coach and or you can fire a GM and keep the coach right I mean yeah I, sure. I think if so want to. that's that's like just a little different than what we're used to I don't think you'd have to fire both and and bring in a completely new regime I think Kevin O'Connell has proven that he deserves to be the guy for for a while but he's part of the decision making too they're not totally separate unique pieces where Kwesi Adafamensa is making all these personnel decisions and Kevin just coaching whoever he gets They're they're hand in hand. So if, if Kirk cousins comes back and Kevin O'Connell is a big uh, part in why that happened, then he might be uh, liable to kind of pay the price for that too, if it doesn't work. So I understand what makes it so, so difficult and so fascinating is I understand both arguments. I understand Kevin O'Connell saying, look at how, Look at the what if this year, if Kirk had stayed healthy and what we saw from the middle two months of the season with Brian Flores defense. Imagine if that defense has a little bit more talent um, that we can start to draft or bring in or whatever, um, which obviously is harder when you're paying Kirk Cousins a lot of money. But look at the the case to be made for the upside that we had on both sides of the ball this year and Kirk continuing to kind of get deeper and deeper into Kevin O'Connell's offense and the nuances of it and Justin Jefferson, and Christian Derrissaw, and Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkins, and all these different pieces and the way that that could work. I understand that, but I also really understand the idea of it's been six years of this. Like, different things have been good during it. Like, when he when he first came to Minnesota, the defense was really good. 
And then there's been offensive line issues and defensive issues and special teams and coaching. And it was Mike Zimmer and, and all throughout the constant has been, there's been kind of a ceiling on what Kirk Cousins can do when not everything is perfect around him. And you're all, you're almost never going to have that San Francisco scenario where the roster is so good on both sides of the ball that Brock Purdy can do it. And not to take anything away from Brock Purdy, but I, so I, I get that. I, I also really, I get the idea of wanting to reset and wanting to have this finally be the year where, you know what, if we have to trade a bunch of picks, it's easier to go from 11 to three than it is to go from 20 to three or, or whatever it might've been in, in years past and do that sign a, a bridge quarterback to 10 to $15 million a year deal. There's a bunch of guys like that, that um, you can have in there just kind of as an insurance option. And maybe they even start like the first month of the season, if they have to, or something, I don't, I don't know exactly how that would work, but that's the case for what we saw from Nick Mullins translating and, and having somebody other than Kirk really step in and thrive in this situation. That's so set up for any quarterback. And so I get, I get both arguments and I, I really do. That's why it's to me, it's going to, they're going to, they're going to have legitimate interest in Kirk Cousins. It's just going to come down to the number. And then once you make that decision, cause you have to make that decision first. That's mm-hmm. what's interesting is you don't know when you're deciding um, to bring Kirk Cousins back or not, if you're going to end up with Jaden Daniels or whoever, you have to make that decision first and then go into the draft and, and see if you can make it happen to trade up to five or, or four or whatever. I'm going to make one more comparison that they should consider. And I'm sure that Quasi is. So uh, I play the guitar, right? been playing for a long time. And uh, if you know the history, if you're a player, then you really understand how this works. But in the 70s and 60s, if you could play anything other than just basic chords, if you could play up the neck, if you could do soloing, oh my God, were you good at that instrument? Guitars were harder to play. The distortion didn't echo very well. The training was more difficult to find. Now, I have no idea where this is going. Okay. Now, every person can go onto YouTube and become a shredder. And the young players, even people who are 10 years younger than me, are so much better than my generation of players because we learned out of books where they learned out of YouTube. And so now they can do so much other stuff. Jaden Daniels, Drake May, and Caleb Williams are joining the National Football League. You want to run through some of the quarterbacks we got here? Justin Fields is not a great quarterback, but look at him. Uh, Josh Allen. How about Lamar Jackson? Who, how old is he? 26, 27? Lamar Jackson is going to be around a little while. CJ Stroud. What you have here is a different landscape that you have to overcome when it comes to opposing quarterbacks. Now, a lot of them went over to the AFC. And I promise you, if they were in the NFC, this team would have finished even worse than they did because the NFC has not been good the last couple of years. Here's the other thing that's happened, though. Your division is suddenly really dangerous, and it hasn't been. Kirk Cousins has had free wins and free quarterback rating from the Detroit Lions forever. That is over with. And the Chicago Bears, this is the guy who broke the uh, curse of Soldier Field. You know why? Because the Bears were freaking horrendous. And Tyson Bajan. they're not going to be. They're not going to be anymore even just based on what they were the last seven weeks the roster they have they're not going to be they have a chance to be truly great and the green bay packers sorry folks they have a really good quarterback and they have the youngest team in the league you got problems and these are not as quasi once said champagne problems these are very serious real problems you have to be better now than you ever were before in order to compete and i mean with the whole league at quarterback are are you in a position to do that And are you in a position to cook better than me where I can't handle cooking meat and rice and potatoes and asparagus at the same time, just like the Vikings can't handle signing free agents, heading every pick in the draft and paying that man his money and paying Jefferson and paying Darisaw and everything else. So I'm mixing my comparisons to say that that price better be pretty low that they set it at, or I'm not going to believe there's much chance of it working. Now, this was not the only thing discussed, but it is a thing we're going to discuss for several months. Um, 2022 draft really makes people upset. It's like an emotional reaction. Uh, our buddy Chip Scoggins was like, you answer for that, man. You, you tell us what's what's your deal with the 2022 draft. Uh, what is your feeling about how they feel about drafting as a whole? 
Well, the 2022 draft really did not go well, and that's not good. You don't want to start out your tenure with a draft class that has pretty much totally flopped, and maybe Ty Chandler ends up being the best player out of that draft. Who knows? Uh, Ed Ingram was improved from awful to competent this year. But all the defensive guys that you drafted, Seen, Booth, Asamoah, even a Caleb Evans, who was who was clearly the best and then just totally fell apart the last few weeks of the season. It's just it's just not good. But I don't think that that should totally be held against Kwesi as some example of, oh, this guy can't draft like that's that was his first year. Never done it before. I mean, he'd been a part of drafts in Cleveland and San Francisco, but it was, it was his, his first draft that was his. And I think he probably learned a lot from it. And I think he probably regrets um, going from 14 back to 32. And even if that by the charts brought them some good value, he probably probably regrets not taking Kyle Hamilton or Jordan Davis or whoever in that range. And that's, that's just part of the evaluation that we have. You, I think you should also look to this year and say that they hit on um, Jordan Addison and Makai Blackman, was really good at tackling and didn't look like he was in over his head. I mean, physically, I think there's maybe some limitations on him ever becoming like a superstar corner, but he looks like a very competent guy at that position. And then they get Ivan Pace Jr. as an undrafted free agent, and he looks like he's going to be a starting linebacker in the league for a long time. That doesn't count, remember. It doesn't count. It should sort of count. No, it it absolutely counts. Are you serious? Like, I don't, I'll never understand. I see that every time it it comes up. Like, well, it doesn't count. That wasn't a draft pick. Like, what? No, no, that that counts. It, when, it if you're purely counts. just considering draft picks, then it doesn't. But he's part of that that class this year. That really, it was an encouraging rookie season for them, and I think that balances out a lot of 2022. This is going to be a really big draft for them, and they have to take some of the lessons that they've learned, um, maybe about an injury prone situation with an Andrew Booth, and also in free agency with Marcus Davenport. I don't know that you can continue to do that and try to think you're winning on the margins there by, by getting this injury prone guy. who, what if he stays healthy? He could be really good. It just doesn't happen sometimes when you're, and, and I don't like the injury prone label, but those two guys are examples of if you gotten hurt throughout your entire football career, probably you're probably going to keep getting hurt. It just, it just happens like that sometimes with the Byron Buxton's of the world to, to change sports. Um, I think this, this is just going to be a huge draft. They have to, they have this premium pick at 11, even higher than when they were 14 two years ago. And there's this quarterback class sitting there that if you don't do it this year and you bring back her cousins and you say, let me go take a this defensive tackle or this edge rusher. And you know what? That would be really helpful because they need a, a premier player uh, up front on their defensive line, especially if Daniel Hunter isn't back. And they haven't drafted those guys early in a very, very, very long time. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's coming down the the road in next year's quarterback class or the year after that. Like to me, it feels like you're in this position where you're at 11. And also if you do that and then you bring Kirk cousins back and you get some better injury, like you could just end up picking 21st again the year after. And then it's hard to, to go up and get the quarterback to me. If, if you really like, if you're Kevin O'Connell, Quasi Dolphin you really like, one or any of those top three guys, I would say just just go get them. Do do what you can to go get them. And there there's a price in everything too. And it's entirely possible that they really liked Anthony Richardson last year and just weren't willing to give up um, the capital it would have taken to go get him at at four or wherever he went. But or the, or Indianapolis was picking him no matter what, and they weren't trading that, yeah. which we they could run into again this year. If they and want and that's tricky. Is well, I mean, we've got a bunch of time until the draft, but. It's like Chicago is one who could be drafting. I think is it Washington two? Washington, who New England needs a quarterback. New England three who needs a quarterback. It's a little not great. I think Arizona is is are they four? Four, yeah. Um, and then the Chargers are five. So those would be the two spots. But that doesn't help you if the top three quarterbacks go one, two, three, and you don't really like Michael Penix or Bo Nix or which I don't see as really top ten guys. Penix maybe with the arm talent, but. It, yeah, it is a it is a big big draft because there's so much to consider. There's the quarterback position, but also there's just these holes on defense that you you'd love to fill too. And and so if you have more cap space to do that and and address some of those holes in free agency and not feel like 
you have to fix them via the draft, that becomes easier. Where it's just this puzzle where it all it all works together or it or it doesn't work together. So one thing I, I would like to say about the 2022 draft is it's not over yet uh, that they haven't just eh. finished their careers. No, it, it's not because we even when you look at someone like Josh Metellus, Josh Metellus was a sixth round draft pick who never had a chance to play. And then he did. And then all of a sudden it was there. I'll give you another example. Trey Wayans did not play a whole lot through his first couple of years as a first round draft pick. Everyone called them a bust. When I got here in 2016, they're like this is Trey Wayans guy. What a huge bust. And then he was a key player on the outside corner on a defense that finished number one in the NFL. Now, was he a hit as a top draft pick? Eh, probably ish. Like what? Not what you'd expect. You expect him to be sauce Gardner, but there have been plenty of guys who have advanced. And so is Ed Ingram hit his ceiling now, or can he be better next year? And instead of the 34th best guard, he's the 20th. And all of a sudden that's a really good pick. Or can Andrew Booth Jr., who didn't look terribly out of place when he played, he just didn't play much. Uh, I think that Brian, uh, Brian Flores likes a little more toughness in his corners, which may have made a difference there. I just mean Harrison Smith might retire. It's not completely over for this draft class. So it's, it's until, not 100% over. It's not. And, and, until, and I'm not arguing for it. I'm only yeah. saying that as of right now, uh, our opinions have changed in the past. I don't expect these players. There's a difference between I'm saying it's possible and I don't expect yeah, you're, it. You're not counting on these guys by any means, but the optimistic view would be, yeah, sometimes, and Quasi said this today, sometimes it's, it's not all, always linear. It could be year three, year four, year five, where a guy figures it out. They're hoping for some of those guys. It might be year three. Lewis seen. Is 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 a strange one because the whole rookie season was ruined with the injury, and then this year, like we have no idea really who he was, um, just because the safety room was so stacked. A little concerning that he was a healthy scratch behind Theo Jackson, who was a sixth round pick. But like I, I wouldn't completely write that out. I mean, there was Quasi mentioned like a, the, their safety. It's um, a position where there's a lot of nuance, and there's things where with Brian Flores defense. Like that takes a lot to learn. Um, Andrew Booth Jr. I thought the last game of the season when he actually played against the Lions, he like held his own fairly well. So I'm not going to completely write off him. I'm not going to write off a Caleb Evans just because he had a few bad games to end the year. Brian Asamoa, I don't know. He, I mean, that could be more of a compliment to Ivan Pace, but he never really played this year. And we looked at that as this is going to be his year with Eric Hendricks gone. And then we just completely forgot about him because Pace was so good. But then they even like, played Troy die over him. And yep. then they signed like Anthony Barr off the couch to play over and him. Nick Vigil and Nick Vigil. That one might be a little over, but that's the thing you don't know. Um, it's, it's still possible. They get something out of that class. That would just be kind of a bonus. The, the encouraging thing is what we can sort of think we can count on from the three guys specifically in this 2023 class. Right. The, just to be clear, I'm just saying that his point in the press conference yeah. was that it's not over with the draft. And I think that's fair because we have seen other players develop. And I believe at this point that that draft is an F and nothing higher than an F. And we'll see if that changes. I don't think that it will. So I just want to be clear of how I stand I on you. it. I am telling you what he said and, you know, kind of talking about it. But I think that the two drafts are very instructive, as is Marcus Davenport, because uh, I saw this from Brad Spielberger of PFF, who's going to be on the show later this week. He said uh, on Twitter that the only team that got more wins above replacement by PFF's metrics from their rookie class this year was the Houston Texans, who took CJ Stroud. And next, Tank Dell and all, yeah. Right. Next was the Vikings with Addison, and he's counting UDFAs. So yeah. it does count. I but, think, was that on a, like a per snap basis or something? Like uh, that? I don't know. I thought it was total. It, it might be value. Both. It might be I think, both. I think it was, but either way, I don't know what, what it was, but they were second only to the Texans and think about Jordan Addison and what that gives you alone. And then cornerbacks are very valuable. And I think Blackman was probably a little underrated in how much he gave them. He was their highest graded coverage player by PFF. And then of course, a, a linebacker who gives you 750, 800 snaps as the number one graded rookie linebacker. Like this is a really good class. So one is an F. And this one is probably closer to an A, considering that the second round pick was traded for TJ Hawkinson. That's a haul from your draft capital. 
and one year you're terrible and one year you're smart. And who can predict which will be which? Lewis Seen was the defensive player of the game in the national championship and a consensus first-ish type of round draft pick who has not worked out. Who can predict this thing? Not I, not the 49ers when they take Trey Lance with three firsts and then it turns out their seventh rounder is better. So if you extend Kirk, this is where it all ties back to, you have to then hope that you're the drafter you were this year and not the drafter you were last year. And that's pretty risky. And uh, then when it comes to, because you have to hit on those picks. And when it comes to Marcus Davenport, another great example that if you do not have cap space to make up the difference when you have a bad draft, you better hope that those bargain bins hit. And with Davenport, it didn't, and it really cost them. And so there's a, there's a lot like to me that is contextualizes the, the quarterback decision and should influence the quarterback decision. Because if you suddenly believe, well, now we can just draft, you know, five other stars to put around Kirk. I don't know. That's that it's, it might work out. It might not. It's such a hard job and a hard like thing to get right. And there's a lot of luck that it comes down to in the draft. And there's just inherent risk doing both things there's inherent risk to re-signing Kirk and like you said trying to hit on all your draft picks like like this year and it's still a very incomplete thing with the 2023 draft after one year but trying to pull off that kind of draft versus having a 2022 draft where at the time I was like all right this looks like a bunch of good players I don't I mean I don't know maybe and it just didn't work out there's also a ton of inherent risk to letting Kirk walk and signing some free agents and then trying to get that quarterback decision right in the draft. Because you, what if you trade up and you give up a bunch of future firsts and then the guy stinks like what Jaden Daniels just doesn't pan out for whatever reason, that's super risky too. And it's, it's living in the world. And, and Quasi talks about this a lot with his trader background and economics and math and like which path is, has a more probabilistic chance to getting to, Super Bowl contention because that's the only thing that matters here is contending for a championship. And to me, the evidence from the past suggests that the path with a higher percentage chance of getting you there is not paying the 11th best quarterback in the NFL 40, 45 million when he's 36 years old. It's taking a shot at that quarterback, that young quarterback, that if you hit on that, he's cross controlled all of a sudden, oh, hey. We got money now, Daniel Hunter, or I guess that decision has to be made before. But, you know, what I mean, we got money now to bring in two proven starting cornerbacks to compete with Blackman and Booth. And, and maybe if Murphy's still here, we got money now to add this really impactful, even on a level beyond Harrison Phillips defensive tackle. We got money now to to go get an edge rusher because our starting quarterback is on a rookie deal. And so there's there's risk. There's a ton of risk to that. Of course, if you get it wrong. You're not going to be the guy probably drafting another quarterback, but I think that that kind of swing and just getting out of the place that we've been in for the last five, six years with this franchise and taking a shot at it with this draft pick that you have this year to me is more appealing than running it back and convincing yourself that Kevin O'Connell can take Kirk Cousins to the promised land. Uh, you're a big hockey fan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty, it's, it's fourth for me among the four sports, but I also, love all of them so you're from here you know hockey yes in hockey there's a concept when well, i used to cover hockey early in my career so i covered uh prospects like mm -hmm. american hockey league is my first reporting gig and so i would talk to scouts and executives and stuff who would go to these minor league games and they'd just be sort of milling about and so i got a great chance to learn a lot from them and one of the things they would talk about is drivers versus passengers and this is when we talk about the risk here's where it ties into the risk who are the drivers of the Vikings having a great passing game? Who is the passenger? Now, I'm not saying Kirk is entirely the passenger because that would be unfair to his talent. He is incredibly accurate. He's super smart. He operates it. He's a good leader of the offense, all that stuff. But is he the driver in the way that Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson is the driver? Or is it Justin Jefferson in the scheme? I think if you were to pick... The quarterback is more of a passenger in this system in the similar way that you would say Jared Goff or Jimmy Garoppolo or Derek Carr in the past when they've been well uh, or played well. I think that what they 
have is a system that's set up to be a passenger more than a driver. And then if you can be, then you win the Super Bowl. <laughs> if you have Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes and Kelsey, then you just win, uh, which is what you're really going for. So I think that that has to be considered as well when they factor all of this stuff in. Uh, because there's number one centers who do it all and then wingers who score because of them. And then we look at the winger stats. And we go, man, it's unbelievable. We we get, we got to sign him. We got to pay him. But how he was more of a passenger. How much of a passenger was he? It's yeah. uh, all these things have to be weighed and considered. And as you said, I think Kwesi Adafo Mensa has one of the most difficult jobs in uh, the sport. And by the way, just for the record, and, and I was going to ask you if you like what other thing from the press conference that we because we've just circled all the way back every time to the quarterback. Totally right. But um, he was asked specifically about the Wilfs. Like, did the Wilfs tell you you can never tank? And he said, no, that that's not the case, that the way it works is he presents ideas to the ownership. He, he presents paths and plans, and then they decide on together what they want to do. That sounds right to me. Uh, I also think that the idea that this team is in a position to tank now is not even worth discussing. Even if you draft a rookie quarterback, and even if you start him, you are not in a tank type position because of what you have. And you don't have to be because you have the 11th pick and you're in a spot where you could draft a quarterback anyway. So I just wanted to point that out that that comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. And that was his answer. And again, does it Getting completely endorsed by me is 100% truth. I don't know, but uh, I'm just telling you that's the answer. What other thing before we close, Will, uh, stuck out to you that was not quarterback related? Uh, that's a great question. My mind is just kind of only, there's just like a monkey up there banging a symbol yeah. saying quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. What'd you think of his running game answer? Oh, yeah. Okay, can, I start by, can I start by saying how funny it was? He was asked about the running game. And he's like, well, so here's the thing with the passing game. He literally started the answer yeah, by here's yeah. the thing with the passing game. Yeah. This man wants to throw the ball and I respect it. Yeah. I, and I think that that's the way that you should look at it in, in the modern NFL. I think they, if they can get just a little bit more efficient with the running game, it will help the passing game and help the marriage and, and of the run and the pass and everything. Uh, I just, I don't know how important it really truly is. Um, the Alexander Madison thing did not work out very well this year. Um, but whether it's Ty Chandler, whether it's somebody else you bring in, um, like they should be a better running game. It doesn't, it's, it's weird to me because these guys that they have O'Neill and Darisaw and Bradbury specifically and, and the guards too. Josh Oliver, Josh Oliver, like they have a lot of good run blockers. There's just finding these little margins of of getting the blocks right that make the difference between like he said it's such a small difference between averaging four yards a carry like they did this year or averaging 4.3 and then suddenly you're like in the top 10 um so they they, they got to find that and i think find a little bit more balance but also when you have justin jefferson and addison and Hawkinson, you can keep throwing the ball 65 percent of the time i think yeah i think what they need uh, regardless is a running game that can give a quarterback a peace of mind. And, and, and what he's talking about is circumstances that you get from having a good running game, which is second and five and second and five is a really great. And it was, thing to it have. was the Bengals game where, right. Where Chandler ripped off. Yes. Seven, eight yards on first down a bunch of times. And then you're like, wow, this offense looks really good when you're facing second and four. But uh, even more than that, um, I think is a running back who could create explosive plays. Mm -hmm. And they were non-existent with Alexander Madison. And they were there a little bit with Ty Chandler. I like what I see from Ty Chandler. But I remember my friend Sage Rosenfeld saying to me one time when the Vikings had Delvin Cook is it's the easiest thing in the world as a quarterback. Mentally, you take the snap, you hand it off to the guy and you're 15 yards. You know, just like that, that trust. You watch Mahomes and you watch how much he has to do all the time. And you just go, or even Michael Penix in the national championship game, like mix in a handoff that goes for 15 yards. And we feel probably a lot better about that, but it's every single down. It's all about the quarterback. And what that can't do is even out a game like Carolina or eat out, even out a game like uh, Chicago, mm -hmm. where if you could run the ball, then all right, you're not passing that effectively. But I go back to when they scored a touchdown running 10 straight times with Kevin Stefanski in 2019. Imagine being the quarterback. This is great. They won a game where they passed the ball 10 times with Kirk against Atlanta. Against, yeah, first game yep. of the year. Right? Yep. That first, must be wonderful. First home game, yeah. Here we go.
Just do your thing. So Michigan just did it. Speaking exactly. of the national championship, JJ exactly. McCarthy completed 10 passes and they ran for 300 yards. That must be great. He gets to he gets to raise a championship trophy. I did it. And you're like, well, you were a bit of a passenger there, my yeah, friend. That was a passenger. To, that to was use, not a driver. That's that. exactly right. That works in other sports too. I was thinking, like, Basketball how many how many guys has, has LeBron James gotten paid? Because he made them look really good. Oh yeah, oh, quite, a, yeah. quite a few. Yes, there. Are, that's absolutely. And uh, just even the Timberwolves. What we've seen was Carl Anthony Towns was probably always a passenger, mm-hmm. and they wanted him to be a driver. Yeah. And when you want, and look, this has been this team. When you want a passenger to be a driver, you don't often win a whole lot. Yeah. So and now they have a driver, and his name's Anthony Edwards. It all came back together. I gotta go because I gotta go cook some food. I think <laughs> it'll go fine. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Uh, this was really fun. Wait, so, wait. Who do you, who do you got winning the Super Bowl? Oh, uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about this. We might. I say. I mean, should I just go with the obvious pick, the Baltimore Ravens? I mean, they're the best team in the league. They have one of the best drivers in the league at quarterback. Have they won any games? That would be the fascinating. Uh, if, if it's the top seeds, Ravens, uh, 49ers, it really is. Here's Lamar, who does everything for us, versus here's Brock Purdy, who is excelling in this role where everything around him is amazing. And I kind of just think it might be those two teams and it's not, it's anything can happen in the playoffs, but I think they're just kind of on a level above, um, especially in the NFC. Like, I don't, I don't know who gets there over the 49ers, maybe Dallas. Dallas is the only um, one. I, 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 the, the Eagles two months ago, but not right now. The I'll AFC is fascinating because I think Josh Allen is the type of guy who, can go beat the Baltimore Ravens by himself, even though that's one of the best events in the league and the best team in the AFC. Like he's that good. Um, I think, and then I'm not going to write off Mahomes until he's been eliminated. So the AFC playoffs are going to be really fun. Yes. Yes, they are. NFC too. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I think Buffalo's become less of a dark horse in recent weeks because they've mm-hmm. been so good, but that defense is pretty nasty and that can play well. Hey, it's also going to be like 50 mile an hour wins in Buffalo. And I was uh, very much thinking about my childhood of watching yeah. Bill's playoff games at uh, what used to be rich stadium and 50 degree wins, but they've, they've got the quarterback. Who's the driver. They've got the defense. They could, they could potentially do it. And my, my two obvious upset pick is I, you, you might be able to guess it. it's the Rams, Rams yeah. it's the Rams going into yeah. Detroit. A secondary that it just gave up 190 to Jefferson, 200 to CD Lamb, 140 to Jefferson the week before that. Going against Puka and Cooper Cup, the Stafford angle is just too juicy that he goes in there and and ends their best season in 30, 40 years. Yeah, so that Lions defense has a lot of work to go. So yeah. uh, we'll see. But guess what? We'll keep doing podcasts through the playoffs. So this doesn't have to be the last prediction I make. In fact, you might listen to another episode. I might think somebody else is going to win. So we'll see. Uh, thanks everybody for watching as always. And we'll be, uh, anytime we pod from here on out, because uh, this is our last time here for a while, uh, we'll be zooming it up. So yeah. it's been fun being in this room, doing round tables and everything else. Yeah. Thanks everybody. So appreciate it. Football.